Welcome to the WineCamp podcast, where we look deeply into regenerative organic and Demeter biodynamic certified wine growing and farming. My name is Craig Camp, and I am the general manager of Troon Vineyard and author of the WineCamp blog at craigcamp.com, where I am chronicling our regenerative mission at Troon. This is meant to be a podcast for those that aspire to, as the Regenerative Organic Alliance says, farm like the world depends on it. These interviews will be focused on our work here at Troon Vineyard in Oregon's Applegate Valley, but will also include the work of other farmers committed to regenerative agriculture. And now for today's interview. Hello and welcome to Troon Talk, our podcast where we dig deep into regenerative agriculture, wine growing, and biodynamic marketing and sales, which is what we're talking about today. Uh, with us today is Nate Winters, uh, one of our, our longest term staffers and has worked his way up through the entire company and uh, is now our director of sales for national and international sales. So uh, welcome, Nate, and tell us about your background and how you came to Troon. Thank you. Um, yeah, my background will will keep it somewhat brief, but definitely was not in the wine industry growing up or anything like that. Um, played a lot of sports. I was quite active, and so um, after high school, there wasn't much going on um, in the town of Anderson, or Redding area, Northern California, where I grew up. So I enlisted into the Army. Um, I did my time there, and now that I don't have to run anymore, I like the leisurely aspect of selling wine. Um, I started waiting some tables here and there, and I carry resumes in my car because you never know what may happen, and someone from the vineyard came in, said they were hiring, so dropped off a resume and got an interview. And that was back in 2015, and I got an interview for a spot in the tasting room at the time. Um, I couldn't really pronounce wine or viognier. Uh, those words were hard to look at, <laughs> a little intimidating. But then once you find that one wine that kind of opens the door for a rabbit hole, as I did, um, the grape Tanat was kind of the epiphany wine for me, and I've been chasing wine ever since. Um, as you said, starting in the tasting room, and working there and managed the tasting room for a couple years, then spent some time in the cellar and the vineyard, learning how the grapes grow and how to manage the juice in the cellar. And now uh, I've been doing the sales here for just over about three or so years. Um, it'll be about seven and a half years total for my tenure here at Troon, and a lot has happened since then. So you're out in the market all the time, and, and Troon wines would be called natural wines by most definition. Uh, what is your thoughts on that term and how it impacts consumer perceptions of Troon wines? There's kind of a wide range of impact that it does have, I think, on, on Troon wines when you label them as natural. Um, but there's a lot of pros, some cons, because I think there's no clear definition of what that means yet. But other than that, I think there's a whole bunch of positive things around that term natural wine. Um, natural implying, um, you know, native, a sense of place, um, having integrity and purity in a product instead of heavily manipulated or having it fit um, kind of a mold that we're trying to do as humans, more of get in line with mother nature. Um, for me, natural wine has to start in the vineyard. Um, you know, you can't have just wine made in the cellar, but then you're using pesticides or doing things that are very destructive to the farm. I think it has to start in the farm first and then be followed to the cellar with no additives, um, or late, you know, 
easily put, I think, nothing taken away from the wine and nothing added to the wine that wasn't there to begin with. So for here at, at Troon, I think we do a, a great job at that. There is no additives or manipulations. Um, we even put the ingredients on the label for consumers. So I think for, for Troon's sake, when we talk about natural wine, I think we're trying to do the best job that we can of pioneering a very clear, transparent definition of what we mean when we say natural wine. Do you think the market and consumers are confused by the term? I think they're confused, possibly, um, just don't understand fully. Um, so I think you know, part of my obligation of, of representing what you would call natural wines is to help clear all that air up and, and kind of help bring people to the farm and to the wines without anything hiding, um, no masks, kind of pull the curtains back. And I think a lot of natural wines, there's still some some things going on that maybe uh, aren't quite mainstream to talk about. Um, there's no fining, there's no filtering um, for, for our wines either. Um, okay, you've poured Troon wines at, at, at many events that feature natural wines, raw, wild, slow wine. Can you describe these events? What are your experiences of those events? And do you think it is an effective way to communicate to consumers about how we make the wine? Yeah, this is a perfect segue when you talk about confusion of natural wine. There are these wonderful events out there that I think are really helping um, consumers and people within the industry to better understand this category and avenue of wine and agriculture. Um, raw wine is a great event, and you know these, these events I'm going to talk about are pretty um, straightforward as far as what their name says reflecting their, their values. You know, raw wine is kind of just that. It's wine that is not manipulated by any means. Um, I think it's the most rigorous application I have to do for any of the events. They ask how much sulfur is in the wine. They ask if you till your property. Um, they ask about everything. And so for raw wine, it's a really kind of curated crowd um, about what they're looking for. And Troon Wines does very well there. We represent our sparkling wine program, our skin contact amber wines, red wines. They, it's, a, it's a perfect spot for us to showcase kind of everything we do that really falls in line with the values of the people attending these events. Slow wine, just as it sounds, is you know, trying to take more time to think about what you're drinking as, long as, this, as well as the slow food um, organization to take the time and think about what you're eating and what you're putting into your body. And then you have Wild World event, uh, which is a, an event that features tea, cider, beer, um, anything that you can ferment, you're, you're welcome to be represented there, but you have to be using native yeast. And I think that's another big portion of natural wine um, is, is native yeast. So all these events kind of have their own character and their own values. And the fact that we participate in all of them, I think, kind of speaks volumes that um, the, you know, the transcendency of the wine, not only the quality, but the integrity of the product allows us to do such a thing. And of course, the people that, that attend, um, it's a nice filter, these events, to filter out, not in a bad way, but the everyday customer. And you typically get a little bit more people that have more questions about the science, the chemistry, and the farming at these events than you would, say, in the average grocery store. So you, you feel you get a more sophisticated consumer that they have a, a basic idea already about the way we're making wine? I would agree with that, as well as just a more open-minded um, person as well. You, uh, you have more of a specific questions they're asking, but people that are more willing to 
hear what you have to say instead of following a dogmatic approach to winemaking. These people are very open to see how to do things differently to make just an ultimate, a better product that reflects a sense of place. You, you travel around the country a lot. Uh, it seems like natural wine bars and natural wine shops are, are everywhere now, no matter the, the size of, of the city. Is this just a, a, a trend you see taking off everywhere? I think it's, it's kind of both a trend and something that's here to stay. Um, you know, as, as you know, Craig, the, the world of wine has been doing things before, you know, America has caught on to it. And, and back in Europe, you know, they've been making wine in this fashion for a long time, just calling it wine. And so to come up with these natural wine shops, I think, is a great way to get um, America's mainstream drinkers in line with what we're doing, with having more um, value and kind of intentions behind what they're drinking. So in these natural wine shops, you're going to find everything from, you know, uh, you could find DRC. Um, you could find some wonderful wines that some people won't think are as natural as others. And then you can also find the wines that are so natural that um, you may not like to drink them as much as others. Um, there, there's a full spectrum, but I think these natural wine shops are really doing a justice for the wine industry and taking the consumer on their backs where the restaurants kind of couldn't through COVID. You've seen these independent retail shops really popping up and, and really kind of leading the charge to keep really awesome wines on the shelves at affordable prices. Um, and that's kind of the spot I found Troon Wines to do the best, where there's a wine steward, someone there to hand sell and talk to a consumer or a guest or customer directly about the product instead of going through a sea of wines when you're in the grocery store or a general wine shop. Um, the natural wine shops are they're very open and and you find a very welcoming aspect for them to teach you about it. They don't want to keep secrets for themselves. They're, they're quick to tell you about their favorite wine on the shelf and why it's their favorite wine. So, yeah, across the country, even in Iowa, you have Kansas. You have a lot of places that are really progressing the wine culture um, with or without food. I know that orange or amber wines are particular favorites of yours. How, how do you find those wines are received in the market, and how do you explain them to consumers? It is my, uh, as of the past couple years, my favorite style of wine. Um, they're so versatile, and I think that the best wines, whatever style it may be, kind of transcend people's palates. A lot of people say they don't like one wine over another kind, but there are plenty of wines out there that everybody does like, and I feel these wines definitely bridge that gap. Um, I explain it as everyone's familiar with rosé, and rosé is you know, basically red grapes made like a white wine where it's just minimal skin contact with the juice. When you talk about amber wines or skin contact wines, it's white grapes made like red wine where their skin is in contact with the juice during fermentation for any given period of time. So it results in a wine that has qualities of a red, but you serve it slightly chilled. You have tannins and textures along with all these aromatics and flavors that you don't normally find in just white wines alone. Um, I, I think they're wonderful in these shops and people are very open to them because there is a wide spectrum. Not all amber wines are like Provence Rosé and light in color. There's some amber wines out there for the hardiest of red drinkers. For us, we make two different amber wines, the Amphora and the Kubli Bench Amber. So we have kind of that entry level wine with a little bit more fruit forward, um, refined tannins, and then we have a little bit more esoteric for, uh, for those wine geeks out there as well. So you're a certified sommelier from the Court of Master Sommeliers, so we'll ask you the inevitable uh, food and wine matching 
uh, question about amber wines. What, what, where do you see these fit into to meals and dinners? All courses, all the time. I think uh, bubbles, you know, champagne is the easy question for when in doubt what to recommend. You always recommend sparkling wine, but I also feel amber wines, we call them amber wines, but it's synonymous for orange wine, skin contact, whatever you may want to call them, um, because of the textures, the temperature, the flavors, um, and of course, it preferred to be unfiltered. You can pair them with almost anything. I've done jambalaya with a little spice. There's pork chops. We like to do some dessert style without doing sweet dessert. You can do a cheese finish with a little honey. I've done green tea cake. Um, you could do just about anything you want with any of these styles, and that's kind of, I think, why I like them. Um, you can drink them any time of the season with most foods, so I tend to always have one on the table, and um, you'll catch me talking about orange wine most, most of the week. <laughs> Uh, we, we're also making a range of uh, Petit Natural, Pet Nats, uh, from, that are very different in style. We, I mean, Paquette, of course, is, is very unusual, especially our style, which is more Pet Nat than probably Paquette. But uh, what's, what's, I think these are fun wines to sell. What do you think? I totally agree. And I think the main hurdle that people have to get over themselves, as I did, is you can't think of this as champagne. It is a totally different style of sparkling wine. And once you get your, your framing around that kind of right, I think you can enjoy these wines a lot more. You know, this is a style where you bottle the primary fermentation, resulting in a, a sparkling wine that has a lot more fruit-forward characteristics. The bubbles themselves are not as tight. They are a little bit more textural, um, enveloping of the mouth and the mid-palate that you have there. Of course, our piquette has a lot of different grapes in it, red and white skins, so you have a very distinct style there. A lot of different piquettes um, around the nation, from New York to Texas, are, um, you can kind of blend kombucha, cider, wine, and beer in this Venn diagram, and piquette style kind of falls in between that. And a lot of these, you know, just given the style of how it's made, tend to have these volatile aromatics to them. And I'm really proud of ours that ours is the most wine-like um, piquette that I've been able to come across. So in that, you know, sense, it works as a great bridge to natural wine from people that are very used to very clean one style of bubbles. This can definitely get you over to another. But pet nats in general of having something that's not pretentious that you can drink during the week with a lot of different things as well. Share with your friends. We put ours under a crown cap um, and in clear bottles. We want you to see the color. We want you to open the cap and drink them. They can age for a little bit, but I wouldn't recommend sitting on them for years as you would champagne. So. Um, as we all love our sparkling wines, they all do have a role to fulfill on the table um, for, for what you would like. Well, we have some 20 varieties here on the estate at Troon. That means that you're out selling a lot of different varieties that people don't know. What kind of reaction are you getting to, to you know, wines from Tanat and, and, and just the less well-known varieties? I happen to really love these grapes, so um, I, I feel like I try to put a little bit more passion in when talking about them. And when I leave Oregon, most people are expecting Oregon to be followed with the words Pinot Noir or Chardonnay, um, which is great, but that doesn't really work for us down here in Southern Oregon. So I find it's always an advantage to come at people with something new. There's always something to talk about new or to learn when Troon is coming at you from Oregon and you don't necessarily live in the state. 
a lot of wine lists, a lot of um, sommeliers, a lot of exams that you're only taught about the Willamette Valley and not necessarily the Applegate Valley. And we have a wider climate index, a climate that can grow a lot of different things. So for us to have 20 to 21 grapes on the property, that gives us a lot of colors to work with on our palette. So whether it's explaining how our blends come together or how we pick four different clones of Syrah for each soil type, we can bottle them by themselves or blend the Syrah, I think it kind of opens people's eyes to, say, if they're familiar with Syrah, they're not necessarily familiar as much as how it plays with Carignan or Kunwa or, or Sinso. So that gives me an opportunity for education as well as entertainment um, out there in the market. The Tanat, um, that's my favorite. As I said, my epiphany wine there. And knowing how Tanat is across the world and how masculine and how structured those tannins can be and how inky of a wine Ours tends to be slightly uh, rounder edges, a little bit more approachable in its youth. And so to help have a wine that, you know, everyone wants to drink these awesome wines, but some you have to wait 10 years before it's actually drinkable. And so for our wine, we can talk about it and drink it together, I think um, furthers the understanding of not just that grape, but of red wines and the possibilities of them in, in the world. Uh, obviously, biodynamics is very important to us. Uh, here at Troon, it's something we've worked very hard to achieve our biodynamic certification. How do consumers uh, perceive biodynamics and how does that fit into the natural wine scene? With biodynamics being developed um, in the early 1900s, since then it's come a long way. And I would say even in the past five years of working with biodynamics, I've seen the consensus of people kind of change from viewing it as this, you know, faith-based approach where there is some voodoo aspect and, and um, belief associated with it to a lot more science-based and, and rooting these things in a foundation and, and measuring what we're doing on the farm. Um, so I think speaking about biodynamics with both sides there, you know, having faith and following that boundary of unknown when you're farming and, and learning your farm every year and layering in more aspects of diversity, you know, it, it also helps to then years later, show your work, in a sense. I was always getting in trouble in math class for not showing my work and just giving the answer. And so I feel like this is a great way to provide that work so that you understand the answer a lot better. Um, and in the wine scene, I think biodynamics has got a lot of respect from a lot of people. And when it fits into the natural wine scene, I think you know biodynamics' goal with wine is to reflect a sense of place. We're not slapping a bunch of new oak and all these manipulations on the wine to cover that. So when you talk about natural wine, uh, whether it be integrity or the reflection of that site, I think biodynamics is, is the best way to achieve such a thing um, with, with integrity. Well, well, how would you explain biodynamics to somebody the, that was not familiar with it? Uh, here at Troon, I think we have a very, very concise way of doing that, which would be, I like to lay out organics, you know, you organic farming of a list of things you're not supposed to use. So thou shalt not use these things and you're considered to be organic. Biodynamics takes it a step further where they tell you what to use and what to put back into the farming system. So a thou shalt use list where, you know, regenerative organic would be the next step of tying in more layers. But I think that's the major difference in my eyes of a holistic approach of putting back in. Um, organics can be just a, a very extractive form of farming and doesn't focus on putting back. And so with the composting, with our animal integration, along with the people, um, I think that would be the main difference for me of biodynamics is treating that farm as one whole organism so everything matters, um, not just um, the garden or not just the crop, but 
but the soil, the people, um, a full holistic view. You mentioned the regenerative organic certification. Uh, obviously, we're very proud at Troon to just have achieved our, our gold level uh, certification in regenerative organics, second winery in the world and fourth farm overall globally. Where do you see the regenerative organic certified label fit into the marketplace? It's very, very early in the process of recognition for this certification, but I think it has, this is the best home for it, um, right in the middle. I think it, it helps further the envelope of bringing the people back into the equation of these businesses and of the farms. Like I said, organics, you know, it's just kind of focusing on the land and the farm, whereas biodynamics, there's more layers of integrating, whereas the regenerative organic certification, you know, they're actually having you measure and demonstrate your sequestering, you know, carbon and building organic matter. Um, so I think more science, and I think in a world where natural wine, that term is so undefined, having a little bit more of this science envelope and, and kind of walking the walk as well as talking the talk um, could only help kind of further this, this agenda of natural wine and what's good for you and what's, what's nutritional. I think this is a great way to show those, those differences instead of just talking about it. Um, anyone can, can say they're farming biodynamic or farming this way, um, but, but the certification gives you those guidelines so you know how natural this wine is. And we don't just say it's natural, but it's, it's this natural. You can't see my air quotes right there. So, uh, so natural wine, you know, there's a, a lot of discussion about it with faults and things like that. I think we've always prided ourselves at Troon on making what we would call clean natural wines. Do you sometimes feel that term locks you in a box? The, the term clean wines, natural wines. I think it does, you know, and that's, that's been the double-edged sword for me is on when to use and when to play with that term. You know, I don't walk into every wine shop saying I have natural wine to show you, um, but it definitely falls under the umbrella of what most people would call natural wine. Um, so it, it does put you in a box, but I think my job and, and what I've been trying to do is push those walls of that box a little wider um, to kind of encompass everything that, that would need to in order to, to fully call something a natural wine. Whether you use mechanical harvesting or you pick by hand, um, do you till on the farm, do you filter, do you add sulfur? There is a lot of questions and points of contention. You know, even oak barrels, how much does the oak impart on the wine? So when you talk about natural wine, there, there is so much to talk about. And I think, yeah, you tend to, who you're talking to is, is the box you may be put in. So obviously you've seen some pretty dramatic uh, transitions here at Troon since you, you first arrived. How would you describe that, that transition and what does that mean to you as a person? You know, in the beginning there was, um, there was not much meaning to me as a person because I wasn't fully understanding it, but not just observing a process over the past five years, but being involved in the process has totally reshaped, you know, not only my business career and trajectory and values, but my personal life of how to, you know, over the past couple of years, my favorite word has been diversity. I think the more layers that you have in a system, whether that be your, your body or your microbiome of your gut or a farming system, um, the more diversity you have, the healthier that system is, the more resilient it is. Um, so I, I think biodynamics is the ultimate blueprint to, to show you, you know, you may not know everything, you may not even know how it's working, but, but it's working. So um, in teaching me faith 
teaching me, you know, values, how to have an open mind, um, and then translating that to when I sell wine, when we talk about wine here, I think it's, it's ultimately the best, um, best case scenario I could be in for, for selling wine um, is, is here at Troon Biodynamics. There's been so much over the past five, six years from dogs to sheep. We have an apple orchard with 41 types of apples and over 220 trees. So we'll co-ferment cider. We have bees, a two-acre produce garden that we sell to local restaurants. You know, it's a full farm approach here instead of just a vineyard. And I think, you know, we've been on this journey for about five to six years now, and there's no end in sight. It's a continual thing to, to layer in the sustainability. And, and that's just been a really cool, unique opportunity to be a part of, not just here in Southern Oregon, but, you know, in the world to kind of pioneer, as you said, even the second vineyard in the world for the regenerative organic certification. It's been a, it's been a roller coaster. So the way, way you describe it, it, it it sounds like not only does biodynamics and regenerative organics uh, impact the way we grow things, but it impacts the way you sell things. Yeah, you know, I, selling products that you don't like is not the funnest thing to do. And I find myself in a position where I am fully invested from the farm all the way through to the packaging of the wine. You know, our labels aren't even made from trees. We have corks that are sealed with beeswax and vegetable oil. So it only helps me to, to have integrity in selling these products as well and easier to get behind these products. Um, and especially when I'm in a market with, with a lot of other wines that, that don't necessarily have those common things um, or those things in common with us. Um, it makes me enjoy my job a little bit better. I think that people can see the passion and the excitement sometimes when I'm talking about things. So um, whether I like it or not, I've, I guess that's the feedback is that this biodynamics has affected me as a person. So even as director of sales, you find yourself doing a lot of on-farm activities. What are some of the things you've been doing lately? You know, it's always something, you know, I, emails and computers gets monotonous at some point, and I'm lucky enough to, to just work at the farm. So on lunch or whenever I can to go and walk the farm, it's, there's always a different thing going on, whether the greenhouse, you know, we're planting our food forest currently. So going down there and documenting that, um, I do a lot of social media for Troon, so there's always some pictures and things to get involved in. But when I can get my hands dirty, I think that's the best for me. You know, it gives me that real street credit out in the market when I have calluses on my hands. So whether it be planting new apples, you know, dipping the roots and helping dig holes, or going out to the greenhouse, you know, feeding the animals or collecting eggs from the chickens, um, really thankful for the opportunity from Troon of having so many different outlets to go and actually get your hands dirty. Um, and that's not only just farm tours for people, um, but actually being involved in harvesting, say, valerian and making a tea out of it or the yarrow blossoms and burying them. Um, I'm lucky enough to, to get my hands involved in almost every aspect of the farm. Obviously, you get to travel a lot more than most people <laughs> here on the farm. Uh, how does it feel when you come back to the Applegate Valley, and how has traveling so much really changed your perspective on the Applegate? That, that's right. You know, um, I've, I've learned that. You don't really learn about the place until you leave a place and come back, um, and, and that's been really nice. Not that I ever take it for granted where I live or where I work. I, I love it, and I, I, I get, you know, a hard time from a lot of people because every day I'll say it's beautiful out here and people say, oh, you're not from here, are you? You you must not be. But 
I really do appreciate where we are, not just the natural beauty, but the potential of this place. And so when I leave for a week to go to New York and I'm surrounded by, you know, a concrete all day long and then I come back, you, it may just be a week, but you can notice the change, the growth in the vines, the growth in the trees, the green. Um, it, it's just a really wonderful contrast from a slow-paced farm where things happen on a long-term schedule to going out into a market where it's hustle and bustle and you need quick results. So I think it, it definitely, it's a revitalizing thing to come back to the farm and see what I've missed and what, a, what I can be a part of again. And then using that as you know, ammunition for lack of better words when I go to the market. So now we're in early 2023. What, what things are you most excited about at, at, at Troon for the next year? I need a long list of, uh, for this piece of paper. Um, I feel like over these past five years, there's been a lot culminating. And 2023 is really that, that year where it's finally coming to fruition and getting to the people. Um, I always use the analogy of watching your puppy grow. You never really notice how big it is until one day. Um, it's kind of slow motion. And so here on the farm, it's been a lot of me talking about what's to come and what we're doing for the future. But now we're really catching some momentum on this farm and getting these foundations in place that we can kind of continue our strides. So having the produce garden where we have produce for chefs and I can bring them to local restaurants and see the food and the wine on that menu is from the same place. I mean, that's ultimately, that's farm to table to me. Um, so having to be able to provide the community, restaurants, our staff with products from the farm, not just wine, um, that's really starting to happen this year. But then also the wine itself has seen such a big quality improvement because of what we're doing on the farm. And I think that's the ultimate proof in the pudding. You know, all of this could be for nothing if the wine does not taste good at all. So that, that's the best is the wine tastes wonderful. And I'm finally getting to see our new labels, our new wines, our first certified wines with gold. Um, really a lot of first time things coming into the market that um, I really want to capitalize the momentum on for this year. So what's up next on your schedule? Where are you headed out on the road next? Yeah, next week, uh, I'm sorry, not next week, two weeks from now, um, we have a Roan Rangers event at our tasting room in McMinnville, which is going to be an awesome event featuring, you know, Tablas Creek, um, Ridge, some local Applegate uh, folks here, Quaddy North. Um, so we'll be in Portland for that and the rest of the week working the market. And then I'll be back home for a week before I gear up and go to Canada. I have Vancouver and Calgary on the list. I'll spend about almost two weeks up in Canada. There's a nice organ um, event that takes place in Canada where we can go up and pour our wines for all the local um, restaurants, sommeliers, and buyers of wine shops. So establishing connections and relationships and getting you know Southern Oregon wine across not only the country, but across the continent has been really fun. I, I do have the privilege of traveling. It is uh, really fun, but to an extent, it does get exhausting when you're out there for a couple weeks at a time. So I'm really looking forward to, to this coming trip. I, we, need, uh, we need to spend more time in Vancouver and to see the water. There's a lot of seafood, and that kind of goes perfect with our wine. So yeah, Portland, Canada, and then the rest of the year, there's a lot more to come, and you'll have to stay tuned to see uh, where I go next. Well, thanks so much, Nate. It's always so exciting to see our wines out uh, actually in restaurants and retail stores and have people uh, enjoying our work. It's something we, we never get tired of. Uh, do you have any closing thoughts? 
Remember, you can always find Troon Wines at our website or our phone number. Um, please, our tasting room. Yeah, that's what I will say to close. You know, we can't forget about our tasting room. Troon is a, a lovely place to work for and, and um, pays for all the certifications of our tasting room um, ambassadors through the WSIP program. What we're doing here requires a lot of communication to the public with biodynamics, regenerative farming, and so our tasting room has done a wonderful job at communicating that to people. And so I would just want to recommend, if you can, please come out to see us. Come to the farm. Come to our tasting room in McMinnville. The staff has got a lot of things to share with you, and they're very friendly. And the sunshine is just coming out, so if you're looking for something for the spring or summer to do, come visit us. Um, we're open every day, 11 to 5 at the farm and noon to 8 at our tasting room in McMinnville. Thanks, Thanks so much, Nate. Thank you. We are happy to share this podcast with you from Troon Vineyard, a Demeter Biodynamic and Regenerative Organic Certified Winery in Oregon's Applegate Valley. We farm like the world depends on it and produce authentic, naturally crafted wines. We will be sharing these in-depth podcasts several times a month. To learn more, I encourage you to visit our website at TroonVineyard.com and those of the Regenerative Organic Alliance at RegenOrganic.org and Demeter Biodynamics at Demeter-USA.org. Thanks for sharing our voyage to regenerative agriculture with us.